the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed, and he's here to say good afternoon. How are you? Welcome to, uh, my goodness, welcome to a new month. Well, we've been in it for five days now, if you hadn't been keeping track. But here we are. Fourth quarter has begun in earnest. October, November, December. Wow. Amazing how time flies when you're having fun, or in some cases, not having fun at all. Although we hope that we'll be the exception to the rule um, in your, your afternoon and evening commute. A little bit of fun. A little bit of seriousness, a little bit of education, a little bit of encouragement. We're going to talk about it all tonight. Our friend Dr. Greg Jantz will join us later on this evening. We're going to talk a bit about dealing with the fallout of Facebook. And I'm not talking about you had a lot of money in it and <laughs> saw the stock drop, although it did recover by a bit today. And I'm talking about the impact of social media, particularly on young people. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not only learning <gasps> to our shock and horror that it has the ability to manipulate people, manipulate elections, manipulate decisions, but it also manipulates young minds. And the kind of potential fallout um, as children have to deal with anxiety, depression, self-esteem issues, oftentimes many of these are negative emotions stoked by what they read on social media, what to do about it, aside from pulling the plug on Facebook. Well, Dr. Greg Jantz is going to join us to join us uh, a bit here and uh, give us some insights. We're also going to talk about the latest folly out of Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, it, it almost feels like you ever go to a store when they're displaying a new product and they're trying to sell you on something? And then there's one more thing that you need to make it work. It's like buying a car and then saying, now now that you bought the car, would you like to have the engine, the seats, the doors, and the tires to go with it? All of that is extra. I don't think any of us would buy a car that way. So why should we buy tax changes that way, where there just seems to be another gotcha around the corner under the guise of wanting to make sure that everyone pays their fair share and even as the huge data dump of um, the so-called Pandora Papers hit the news yesterday, finding out that billions of dollars in taxes are being hidden in offshore accounts by wealthy people around the globe, not just U.S. citizens, everywhere. Um, the Biden administration wants to make sure that everybody pays their fair share, including the proposal that would mean the IRS will begin getting reports and snooping into your bank account. Because after all, if a billionaire can hide money, 
Imagine what you could do with $50 a month. think I'm kidding. The IRS would be looking at your checking account for transactions of as little as $50 a month. Carol Liebau, who is president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy and a member of the Salem Editorial Board, will join us to talk a bit about this. But as before we get into that bit of stomach-churning information, let's uh, head off to Florida for the moment, shall we? Not for vacation, though some of us are, but rather instead to talk a bit about what's going on down there. There had been a... Um, a new Florida enacted, a new Florida law enacted that would require all school districts um, to allow parents to essentially opt their children out of the requirement of wearing a face mask. And apparently the state has done a rapid about face on all of this, creating a bit of flurry down there in the Orange State. Let's get the latest. We're joined now by the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus. I mean, <laughs> Counselor, it's almost like you need a scorecard to keep track of do you or don't you, can you or can't you, should you, shouldn't you. I mean, <laughs> is it any wonder that COVID has had its way with uh, the American population to the tune of more than 700,000 dead Americans? Because in large part, we just can't figure out exactly what it is we're supposed to be doing here. And this case out of Florida, I think, is the latest example. Yeah, it's a real question, uh, we believe, of, of parental rights uh, being properly respected uh, by uh, a school district. You know, as you pointed out, the state of Florida has uh, passed a law that says that parents, you know, school districts can require masks, but parents have a right to be able to opt their child out if they feel that it's not best for their child. And, of course, there's a lot of factors that can come into play with a child uh, wearing a mask, but depending on the child, you have issues of anxiety, you have issues of privacy, you have, um, you know, a number of uh, potential, uh, you know, aggravating health issues for asthmatics, et cetera. So this law was passed. It's the law. And the school district says, no, we're going to ignore, we're going to ignore over 11,000 opt-out requests by parents. And we're going to say, no, every child has to wear a mask uh, no matter what. And uh, we have Pacific Justice Institute on behalf of 35 parents and 38 children. Uh, we just filed a, a lawsuit challenging this as unconstitutional, and uh, we're doing it, um, you know, very aggressively. And um, you know, we're hopeful that we're going to prevail. We're also not only arguing the not only arguing the state law, uh, but also the Florida uh, Parents' Bill of Rights uh, and case law, which uh, is affirmed by the appellate court in Florida uh, to grant uh, privacy to uh, individuals and to children not to be required to, to wear something uh, that uh, they wish not to wear in terms of uh, uh, face covering. So uh, it's an interesting case, um, and we uh, we have a great attorney. Or we have an office there in Miami, Florida, and our attorney, Alex Bumbo, is, gonna, is doing a, just a great job in following this litigation. What kind of potential pushback are you anticipating in this? I mean, for example, I can imagine the, uh, the state or the school districts arguing that, well, uh, you know, we have as, as a school district a right to, uh, well, for example, control clothing. We can say to, to students, as they often do in, in, in populated areas here in California with lots of gang activity, you can't wear certain colors. So there's the state stipulating what you can't wear. Or maybe another 
another case where, for example, in California, uh, if you're a licensed driver and your driver's license says you must wear corrective lenses, you are compelled to wear corrective lenses when driving or you can be ticketed for that. Are these some of the potential arguments, the pushback that you, you might be anticipating coming back from the school districts? Uh, yeah, we can see that. But uh, the courts have looked at it and uh, specifically, um, you know, the Florida Supreme Court has already previously ruled that the, uh, the fundamental right to privacy includes the complete freedom of a person to uh, control their own body. And more recently, a Florida appellate court uh, applied that Supreme Court interpretation and concluded that a person can reasonably expect to not be forced by the government to put on something on their own face against their will. So we've got some great case law. The school district is, is brazenly just violating uh, this case law and the fundamental rights, um, and as well as just violating the state law that gives parents this discretion. You know, the, the, the Parents' Bill of Rights recognize that parents have a fundamental right over the education, health, upbringing, um, and education of their children. And uh, parents know what's best. This is, you know, goes back to school districts being sensitive to that. Uh, children are not at high risk at all. They have a greater risk statistically, uh, almost twice the risk of dying from the flu. And this is based on uh, the last, uh, the numbers through 2020, than uh, if they got the COVID. So this is not a high risk group, um, but there are mental and emotional ramifications for, for children, unquestionably. And um, and parents need to be able to intervene to, to decide what's best for their child. Any sense as to why the, the sudden about face, given the fact that, that up until uh, the 18th of August, that uh, the opt-out provision was being honored, and then suddenly it, the state flipped or the districts flipped? Yeah, well, we're talking about West Palm Beach. And uh, West Palm Beach is uh, a definite uh, blue blotch on the map, and, as opposed to red. So uh, there's a, a political uh, element here uh, versus the, uh, the, the, you know, the governor who is uh, very red, you know, very conservative and Republican versus uh, those who make up the board, uh, school board there in West Palm Beach. And, um, and parental rights are not exactly the, a very high priority uh, for uh, you know, the, the, that kind of a school board that they have in West Palm Beach. Needless to say, they have to buy by... The, uh, the the law they have to abide by the state constitution, and um, and we at Pacific Justice Institute uh, are litigating, defending all these parents without charge, and are confident at the end of the day that we will prevail. Shameful whenever you see uh, anybody starting to use children as a political pawn to make a point. Uh, it just it. It's really sad. Well, we appreciate the update. There's Brad Dacus, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. More information available on the web at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, I want you to strap in good because this one is liable to make your blood boil. And rightfully so. Uh let me start by putting this in perspective. The United States government, and by way of definition, that would be you and me, has $26.7 trillion, that's T with a trillion dollars in debt. The operating budget deficit for 2021 is 3.0 
trillion dollars, which means in the operation of all that the government does in this year, it will spend three trillion dollars more than it takes in. And to put that in perspective, yes, that's three times as much as we had in pre-COVID year of 2019. And so I think we could all agree that, you know, something needs to be done about this. They're spending money like it's going out of style, and the income is just not keeping up with the outgo. Now, there's two ways to address this issue. You can either spend less, heaven forbid suggesting that to Congress, or bring more money in. Well, they seem to have lobbed on to the former as opposed to the, I'm sorry, the latter as opposed to the former. And, and, and in saying so, now as we are hearing this sort of uh, hue and cry, we need infrastructure spending. Well, in order to pay for all that infrastructure to the tune of $3.5 trillion, the House Ways and Means Committee is proposing massive tax increases. Now, it usually goes something like this. The rich don't pay as much as they ought to. They're not paying their fair share. Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg at all are not paying as much money. We need to do something to change the law so that they pay their fair share, too. And they will probably quote something like, well, in 2018, Amazon made $11 billion in profit and had a federal tax bill of negative $129 million, which, you know, in simplistic terms means that they basically the government wrote a check for $129 million while Amazon enjoyed $11 billion in profits. So is that something that ought to be looked at, reviewed, corrected? Probably so. Yeah, probably so. But in the process of saying, let's deal with this by increasing tax flow, the Biden administration has now put its sights on what may potentially be some of the most egregious tax dodgers. And before you think to yourself, that's right, Elon Musk... If you're driving right now, just lean slightly to the right, look in the rearview mirror, and smile broadly. Because the potential tax dodgers that the Biden administration would like to go after is you. Now, how do I know this? Well, because in the latest assault on America's privacy and unfair tax laws, the administration is proposing that banks be required to provide information to the IRS on all bank accounts holding, you ready for this, $600. You think, oh, oh yeah, $600 million. I get, no, no. $600,000? Uh-uh. $600. In fact, to uh, make sure you clearly understand this, that means that the IRS will review every account above $600 balance or with more than $600 in transactions in a year. So if you earn or spend $50 a month, you're invited to the party. Let's find out what's going on here. Carol Liebau joins us. Carol is president of the Anki Institute for Public Policy. She's also an attorney, political analyst, and conservative commentator. She's author of the best-selling book, 
prude how the sex-obsessed culture damages girls and serves as a member of the Salem editorial board. Carol, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And I would imagine that a lot of folks either put their foot through the floorboard or their fist through the windshield of the car, thinking that Craig was going to say $600 million or even 600000 but six. Hundred dollars, really? So, what are we going to do? Just turn the IRS into a modern version of the Russian KGB? Well, you know, and whether it really is six hundred million or six hundred dollars, the question is: Why is the IRS um, trying to take a look at our checking accounts? I mean, you know, we have an annual tax filing; it's pretty invasive. And now they're going down to the level of $600. And the question is, where do they think they're going to catch wealthy tax dodgers, which is exactly what Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, is saying is the basis for this rule change from $10,000 down to $600 to catch wealthy tax dodgers. I'd like to know the wealthy person who is operating at the $600 level. Yeah, to be sure. And when I read a note that the caveat was not even six hundred dollars, um, you know, at, per transaction, Total. but six hundred dollars right. in the account Total. for the year. So if you right. spend fifty bucks a month, you're going to now be subject to a potential IRS uh, audit or investigation, or at the very least, they're going to have a record of what you've done. What would they even do with that? I mean, I, I, Carol, help me understand. I can't go and order pizza for the family on a Saturday night and spend only fifty. Does the IRS really want to know that I pulled up to the Shell gas station, filled my truck, spent $54, and that transaction, because it's over 50 bucks in a month, needs to be reported to the IRS? Well, apparently it seems that it does. Apparently um, the Biden IRS is now interested in collecting everybody's, virtually everybody's account information. And I think that should concern all of us, because as you know, Uh, The IRS has not been particularly um, good at protecting everyone's privacy. Uh, Not too long ago, uh, confidential tax records of some of, you know, the richest Americans were leaked to ProPublica and they were published. And all of us say, well, you know, that was Jeff Bezos and that was Mike Bloomberg and they're really rich. And so... You know, it doesn't matter so much, but it actually it does matter. Those records are supposed to be absolutely private. And someone at the IRS decided they would go ahead and leak them. The IRS said they were going to hunt down the culprit, figure out what happened, who was responsible. We've never learned a thing. And now the IRS wants more information on more people. What's frightening about this, Carol, and you've kind of alluded to this notion that this is not really anything new, that sadly there is a history of this within the organization, and some administrations have in fact used this as a tool, as a weapon, 
against its enemies. Uh, Look at the shenanigans that went on during the eight years of the Clinton administration when there was repeated behavior of folks that were being audited with no real apparent triggers there. There was no unusual activity. They they didn't suddenly write off, you know, $100,000 where heretofore they had no write-offs at all. Nothing that on surface or face value would trigger a traditional audit that would be outside of sort of the, 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 the norms of, you know, we're all kind of put into the system and income earners of 50 grand a year kind of have these expenditures. And so they expect everybody to kind of fall in that general, you know, ebb and flow. And if suddenly there's some weird spikes and activities that don't make any sense, it can potentially flag you for an audit. But during the Clinton years, people were getting flagged for audits. And the one thing that they all seem to have in common wasn't excessive income nor extensive um, uh, uh, write-offs or deductions, but rather that they happened to be of the um, more conservative political persuasion. So suddenly the IRS was being weaponized by the administration as essentially a tool to go after the enemies of Bill Clinton. Am I feeling like there's that shades of this happening all over again? Well, sure. And what was even worse and more blatant was uh, during the eight years of the Obama administration. I'm sure you remember the scandal when it came to light that the IRS under Lois Lerner was routinely holding up or denying nonprofit status to entities that were being um, judged to be relatively uh, right of center, less sympathetic to President Obama. And there was a whole, um, it came to light, a whole plan in place being executed by uh, the nonprofit entity's office to slow walk their applications for nonprofit status to get past the 2012 election, the re-election of uh, President Obama. And um, a real pattern of harassment being perpetrated on um, certain nonprofit entities that did not see things uh, the way um, that Lois Lerner and others uh, on her political side apparently did, which is as far as possible, as you know, from the sort of um, non-political ideal that the federal bureaucracy was put in place to enact. And so they've been playing politics for some time now, and you notice the politics always run in one direction. Uh, I believe the Wall Street Journal did an excellent job at documenting also the way um, some of Mitt Romney in 2012, whatever one thinks of him now, in 2012 he was President Obama's opponent, and it was well documented that many of his most well-to-do and prominent national supporters were singled out for personal attention by the IRS. And so it's of enormous concern that a number of federal bureaucracies have been politicized, weaponized, and are routinely deployed against right-leaning people. And, you know, given this history, it's especially worrisome that the IRS is now, or left-leaning politicians are now seeking uh, broader access that, that would, in essence, give the IRS information about virtually every American's spending and saving habits when they've shown themselves completely unwilling or incapable of keeping this kind of 
information private. Well, and you know what's particularly troubling about this is that normally this is couched in terms of looking out after the little guy. We're going to make sure we don't raise taxes on anybody that earns a nickel under $400,000. We want to make sure the wealthy pay their fair share, blah, 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 blah. All looks good. All sounds good. All looks good on paper, as the saying goes. Then you find out that the potentiality for invasion of privacy here is enormous, and it is across the board. It is no deference to Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, doesn't matter. If you have a bank account and you engage in a transaction over $50 in any given month for a total of $600, and you think I'm kidding. Let me be very articulate about this. This particular bill, if passed, and as Carol just aptly pointed out, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says it'll help catch wealthy tax dodgers, would require your banking institution to report to the IRS any transactions exceeding $600 for the year, $50 a month. That means if you engage in a $50 transaction every month, that information will be reported. I mean, beyond the fact that it would be an enormous cache of information and data almost too big to absorb or process. It's also a glimpse into the most intimate details of every single taxpayer's life, bar none. I mean, why don't we just turn over our checking accounts to the IRS and let them have at it? Now, I want to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Carol Lebo about this this frightening proposal here that it is clearly uh, 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 this if, if there was a Trojan horse ever built. This is a modern-day Joe Biden Trojan horse. And what I find particularly galling and disingenuous is, after we find out all of the insider trading that was going on at the highest levels within within the Federal Reserve Board, don't you think Janet Yellen, former Federal Reserve Chair, has got some cojones to suggest that the IRS snooping on every transaction over $600 in the year total for the account is somehow going to, and I quote, help catch wealthy tax dodgers? Congratulations. If you move more than $600 around in your checking account in a year, the IRS and Janet Yellen think you're wealthy. Wow. We'll take a time out, come back to more of our conversation. Carol Lebow with us today, president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy, as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. We're talking about a new proposal that is being melded into this uh, so-called $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill. And, you know, there's, you know, they always say, what the big print giveth, the fine print taketh away. Well, boy, this aims to take away a lot. And it were just a matter of increasing taxes on certain groups or, you know, wanting to do everything from increased capital gains taxes, which is part of their agenda, um, reduce the inheritance cap from $11 million to five, which is part of the agenda, um, increase corporate tax rates, which is part of the agenda, but trying to figure out how reporting any transaction from any account of $600 or more in the year 
is part of the agenda of, and I'm quoting this Treasury Secretary, former Fed Chair Janet Yellen, quote, will help catch wealthy tax dodgers, close quote. Well, boy, talk about Dodgers. There's a lot of Dodgers, certainly within the Federal Reserve Board, as we have seen. And I got to believe, Carol, this is just a Trojan horse. This is just smoke and mirrors. Carol Liebel is with us today. She is president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy. More information, by the way, available on the web at yankeeinstitute.org. That's yankeeinstitute.org. It's just, this is just filled with so many twists and turns of disingenuousness and lies. It's unbelievable. Well, it is. And, you know, what's worth pointing out is when you drop the limits this low, no one really intends to go after the wealthy. Uh, the wealthy are always well represented by an army of lawyers and accountants that make it very difficult and very expensive for the federal money, for the federal government to extract money from them. You drop the limits this low. What you really intend to do is to go after family businesses, other small businesses, regular people who don't have the kind of resources that let them defend against a protracted suit by the federal government who will pay money to settle a claim and just try and move on with their lives. And so dropping the limits this low really puts the lie to the entire narrative that the Biden IRS and the Biden administration are trying to paint about the reason for, um, for these low limits. What they're trying to do is definitely collect money um, for their incredible $6.5 spending plan, but they're not after the wealthy. It's too difficult to get a lot of money from the wealthy. They know how to shelter their money, and they know how to defend their money. They're going after small businesses, moms and pops, regular people, who can't defend themselves. Well, and, you know, we're beginning to see this point. I mean, ironic the timing as the uh, the so-called uh, Pandora Papers were dropped uh, to the to the general public uh, just over the weekend. And now as we're learning that there are wealthy people across the globe, this is not just the U.S., across the globe that know how to manipulate the systems or use things to the nth degree uh, of which you and I would have to have a cadre of attorneys and CPAs, you know, all on standby. Nobody's going to do that. You can't afford to do that. Um, But the notion here that you're just going to try to squeeze everybody dry, terrify people. And I've got to believe that there's, I mean, wouldn't you think, Carol, and I I don't look for skeletons in the closet and boogeymen hiding underneath the bed and, you know, ghosts hidden under a rock. But doesn't it feel as if they're a component of this? That's just a massive intrusion in privacy that the government is going to care that I spent $52 on a pizza, that that has to be reported? Yes, it's none of the government's business. And this is why uh, this is why laws should be simplified. And, you know, I mean, good for the rich, good for them that they can, you know, afford what they afford and everything else. But. You know, what gives everyone an equal advantage is when you don't have laws that are so complicated that you need an army of CPAs and lawyers to understand them and to make sure you're complying with them and that you can find a million loopholes to avoid responsibility in them. Laws should be short. They should be simple. Everyone should be able to understand them. And we should stop exporting so much of our legislating off to Washington. And this is where we run into so much trouble. The best laws are 
keeping things as close to the people as possible, getting more and more out of Washington back to the states, and um, and localizing and simplifying. And this is why the advocates for big government love complicated laws that are passed far from home. It removes accountability, and it makes it easier to enforce laws selectively because no one really understands them. Well, and you know, it's interesting, uh, Carol. I had a friend of mine from Switzerland. Uh, we, we were chatting via email a uh, week before last, and he, he asked and posed a very, you know, reasonable question. Why does there appear to be so much angst, so much anger in America? We're reading about this in our news and all of the consternation over your elections and COVID and so on and so forth. Well, uh, this, I think, is a classic example of why so many people are upset, because you've got not the government trying, you know, even if we take it at face value, which you should never do, but even if we take it at face value, that this is simply a matter of wanting to improve infrastructure, rebuild bad roads, repair bridges, all of those wonderful things, then you'll find out that there's a massive power and money grab behind it. And believe me, if they want to be able to have the IRS report any activity over the total of the year that comes up to $600, this is more about power than it is about money. And you look at that and think, well, is it any wonder why so many Americans are so hot under the collar? Precisely. And, you know, what we need is more simplicity and more transparency. And those are the two things that people who want government to have power rather than accountability are the most reluctant ever to offer. This is likely going to find itself a big fight in the Senate, and rightfully so. Uh, practically speaking, Carol, from your vantage point, what do you think the chances are of this bit of ridiculousness surviving? Um, I think it's going to have a difficult time in the Senate, and the spending bill already includes $80 billion for thousands of new IRS staffers uh, to come and, and conduct more audits. <laughs> and, you know, that's fine if they wanted try and enforce laws that way, let them do it that way. They don't need to be more intrusive into Americans' private business. And especially when this is clearly an attempt to not go after the fat cats. Uh, I I don't hear uh, Joe Biden all up in arms over what's happened with some of the the, the power trading going on by um, members of the Federal Reserve Board, that's okay. You do that at that level, that's okay. But boy, some American dare spend $50 on pizza this weekend. That better be reported. Carol, let's uh, spend a quick moment before we let you go and kind of give us uh, some insight uh, into the Yankee Institute for Public Policy. Tell us about it. Well, thank you so much. Um, our, Our mission is to empower people across Connecticut to forge a brighter future for themselves and their families. And we do that by equipping people with information, whether it's research studies or investigative journalism that uncovers corruption. Um, and that is our, our mission and our goal, because we believe with good information that uh, explains the benefits of free market policies, opportunity and freedom, people will make good choices that will guarantee brighter days ahead for all of us. Well, we appreciate uh, not only the work that you're doing, but also you taking some time out of your busy schedule to uh, help us discuss all of this and alert listeners as to what's going on. It's 
pretty remarkable and I guess largely to be expected. Carol Ebow, who is again the president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy. More information available on the web at yankeeinstitute.org. That's yankeeinstitute.org. Carol is also a member of the Salem Editorial Board. Salem, of course, same fine folks that own this great radio station. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Facebook has been all over the news lately and not in a good way. And remember, we've talked about this multiple times down through the years. Facebook is not your friend. Facebook is not there to help you. Facebook is there to manipulate you so that they can make money and billions of dollars at it. And of course, the fallout of their efforts at making money mean that a lot of people get pulled into this vortex that runs the gambit of false information, manipulation, false intimacy, all of it. What was designed to be a way for Mark Zuckerberg and some of his um, schoolmates to be able to basically meet girls, that's what it was designed for, has been turned into, well, nothing short of a monster in the eyes of some. Let's get some insights as to, most importantly, how parents can help children deal with the impact of social media. Joining me is best-selling author, Dr. Greg Jantz. He is the founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources called A Place of Hope. He's a certified counselor, addiction and eating disorder specialist, written a number of best-selling books, in fact, 26 all told, including his most recent release, Social Media and Depression, soon to be released by Hendrickson Publishing. And Dr. Jantz, always an education and a privilege to have you with us. Well, yes, what an interesting topic, my goodness. Boy, you know, kids get... Offline for six hours and... People were panicking yesterday. Yeah, they certainly were, weren't they? It, it, it's almost as if their oxygen had been cut off, and, and, and sadly indicative not only of the dependence that we all have on technology, but the manner in which some of this technology is becoming literally a substitute for normal human relationships. It's not just yeah. bad enough, I think, Dr. Jantz, that, you know, in the old days we could still write a letter, drop it in the mail, and, and people knew how to do that. Now, we, you know, it's, it's all done with emojis and, you know, <laughs> and, and short, short uh, you know, short uh, substitutes for phraseology. But the problem presented by people that are, overwhelmingly connected so deep into social media really goes beyond that, doesn't it? Oh, it does. And really what we're looking at, so many get all their news and information through social media, which may not be the best place. And yesterday we lost Facebook, I should mention Instagram. And and it did put some people, and there is really truly something called social media addiction, um, where you are going through withdrawals if you can't get on it. And that's what we're seeing with people. Um, I mean, when I say withdrawals, they're getting headaches, sweaty palms, heart rate goes up. And so social media has taken a role uh, in our lives. And really, if we could look at it and just step back, it's controlling us uh, or controlling so many folks. And what we know is we're looking for constant approval. We know that the more time, for example, the more time you spend on Facebook, um, that you feel worse about yourself, not better. And isn't that interesting? So we're really, in our efforts to, quote, be connected, we're really more isolated. We have the highest 
uh, probably a degree of loneliness. 61% of Americans said they couldn't even name a best friend. So, what's going on? We're more connected, more opportunity for connections, but we're lonely. Is this because largely social media is, is number one, a screen that you can hide behind? You can basically create this character that otherwise in a, a normal human connectivity session where you're face-to-face, you know, in a, in a group setting or, or, or just face-to-face. Otherwise, you couldn't successfully conjure up. And, and as a result, this tends to what? Create an enormous sense of what we think is intimacy, but in reality is actual uh, actually false intimacy? Yeah, I would say it's false intimacy. There's a sense of I'm close and I have lots of friends, but when you really get down to it, can you name a few of those friends? Have you ever met them in person, for example? And, you know, we did see some people really in in panic when social media went down yesterday or a good part of it. And one of the things that happens is um, we have so much anxiety right now. People don't know who or what to trust. You know, really, we have an anxiety virus. It's catchy. And anxiety is at the top of the list. So we are looking for ways to connect or belong. And so often, people are choosing a social media to do that. Most people, by the way, and folks that come to us, we we actually take uh, initially uh, anything with the screen on it and uh, tuck it away. We put it in a safe. When I say people coming to us, it's clients uh, we work with who have anxiety and depression disorder. So... What happens, though, is people begin to feel very, it's a disconnection anxiety. I feel so disconnected. And for our youth, now a lot of our youth don't, I mean, they prefer to text or they prefer Snapchat or TikTok or whatever um, versus being in person. And we miss a lot if we're not having in-person relationships. I don't think COVID helped with that. Now, in fact, anything, COVID probably stoked a lot of that sense of of isolation and anxiety. And, you know, while it might be difficult for us as adults to oftentimes manage this and get kind of sucked into that vortex and disconnecting becomes a challenge for children whose sense of emotional um, social mental development is is still, you know, in those embryonic stages Does this run the risk of a child growing up to become uh, not only far more out of touch, but also having even more increased sense of anxiety when they get put into real social settings because they don't know what that looks like? They've not developed the skills that that you and I had growing up as kids in the 50s and 60s? And one of the forms of anxiety right now that's, and you said it, social anxiety, um, where kids are anxious about meeting a person, you know, and, and, you know, most of our kids are back in the classroom. Last year uh, was devastating. We had the highest academic failure ever. So for our kids, online or virtual learning did not work. Can you imagine that? We just created the greatest academic failure ever. But now we've got kids going to school, but all the social rules are different. Most kids, depending on where they live, still wearing a mask. Most kids, I can't touch anybody. I certainly can't get a hug from my teacher. You know, so all the rules are different. 
So we've disrupted normal developmental processes. And there's going to be a price to pay right now for our youth, ages 12 to 17, suicide is the second leading cause of death. Now that just sounds so um, hard to say and so incredible. What? Suicide, twelve ages 12 to 17, suicide is the second leading cause of death? We have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? You're going to cover all of this, I know, inside the pages of your new book, Social Media and Depression. How soon will that be released? I just came out. Just did. Oh, fantastic. I had a note here from my producer saying, as soon as we get it, we're going to have him back on for an hour. So, Oh, my goodness. I, yeah, I no, had assumed that it had not quite hit the uh, hit the bookstores, but it is now uh, available. I think it's this week. And yeah. you know what? This is a book that every parent ought to rush out and get a copy of because the insights that can be offered to you um, in, in not only understanding better about the challenges that your child is facing, and let's face it, you know, a, a lot of us, even if your your younger parents, you kind of grew up around computers, but the phenomenon of Facebook, Instagram, all of that, uh, Twitter is 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 more new. I mean, it, you know, ten years. So if you don't really understand much of what it means and how it can pull children into that quicksand, um, as a parent, you might have a sense of kind of floundering in trying to help set the proper guidelines, the guardrails necessary to protect your child. That isn't to say that you shut them off altogether, but there are healthy limits. What do those limits look like? And what do you do for a child that is dealing with anxiety and depression because they've maybe felt isolated or they are being the victims of cyberbullying? Well, these and other topics dedicated inside the pages of social media and depression. Again, just newly released by Hendrickson Publishing. You can get it through Amazon.com. You can also order it through aplaceofhope.com. That's a place of hope Com. And we're going to ask Dr. Jantz, uh, when we get our copy, to come back and to spend some more time. We really want to unfold much of this because it is making the headlines every day. And particularly if parents, if we don't understand how to manage all of this, we are at the risk of losing, literally losing, an entire generation. Our thanks to Dr. Greg Jantz, founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources, A Place of Hope, the new book, Social Media and Depression, now available. Check it out, Amazon.com or online at aplaceofhope.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.